Chapter Twenty One of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Twenty One The Third Finger. Vera ought to have experienced a feeling of deepest surprise, but she was long past any emotion of that kind. On the contrary, it seemed quite natural that Evor should be there telling her this extraordinary thing. The sounds of strife and tumult in the house had now died away. Apparently the men in the billiard-room had patched up their quarrel, for nothing more could be heard save a sudden pop, which sounded like the withdrawal of a cork. With a gesture of contempt, Evors pointed to the billiard-room window. "'I don't think you need worry about them,' he said. "'As far as I can judge, they were bound to come to some truce.' "'But do you know what they were doing?' Vera asked. "'I haven't the remotest idea.' Evors replied. "'Some rascality, beyond question. There always is rascality where Fenwick is concerned. Is it not a strange thing that I should come down here and find that fellow settled in the home of my ancestors?' "'Then you did not come down on purpose to see him?' "'No. I came here entirely on my own responsibility. If you have half an hour to spare, and you think it quite safe, I will tell you everything. But there is one thing first. One assurance you must give me, or I am bound to remain silent.' the death of your poor father in that mysterious fashion stop vera said gently i know exactly what you are going to say you want me to believe that you had no hand whatever in my father's murder my dear charles i know it perfectly well the only thing that puzzles me is why you acted in that strange weak fashion after the discovery of the crime that is exactly what i am going to tell you evors went on it is a strange story and one which if you read it in the pages of a book you would be inclined to discredit entirely. And yet stranger and more remarkable things happen every day. Evors led the way to a secluded path beside the terrace. You need not worry about getting to the house, he said. I can show you how to manage that at any time of the day or night without disturbing anybody. I am afraid that on many occasions I put my intimate knowledge of the premises to an improper use, and that was the beginning of my downfall. What will you say to me when I confess to you that when I came out to Mexico I was driven out of the old country, more or less, like a criminal? I understood you to be a little wild, Vera said. A little wild, Evors echoed bitterly. I behaved in a perfectly disgraceful fashion. I degraded the old name. I made it a byword in the district. As sure as I am standing here at the present moment, I am more or less answerable for my mother's death. It is a strange thing with us, Evors, that all the men begin in this way. I suppose it is some taint in our blood. Up to the age of five and twenty, we have always been more like devils than men. And then, for the most part, we have settled down to wipe out the past and become respectable members of society. I think my father recognized that, though he was exceedingly hard and stern with me. Finally, after one more unusually disgraceful episode, he turned me out of the house and said he hoped never to look upon my face again. I was deeply in debt, I had not a penny that I could call my own, and finally, I drifted out to Mexico with the assistance of a boon companion. On the way out I took a solemn oath that I would do my best to redeem the past. I felt heartily ashamed of my evil ways, and for six months no one could possibly have led a purer and better life than myself. It was about this time that I became acquainted with your father and your sister Beth. Evors paused a moment and paced up and down the avenue with Vera by his side. She saw that he was disturbed about something, so that she deemed it best not to interrupt him. It was like getting back to a better world again, Evors went on. I believed that I had conquered myself. I felt pretty sure of it. 
or I would never have encouraged the friendship with your sister, which she offered me from the first. I don't know how it was, or why it was, that I did not see much of you about that time, but you were not in the mountains with the others. I was down in the city, Vera explained. There was a friend of mine who had a long, serious illness, and I was engaged in nursing her. That is the reason. But it doesn't much matter, Evors went on. You were not there to watch my friendship for Beth ripening into a warmer and deeper feeling. Mind you, she had not the remotest idea who I really was, nor had your father. They were quite content to take me on trust. They had no vulgar curiosity as to my past. And then the time came when Beth discovered what my feelings were, and I knew that she had given her heart to me. I had not intended to speak. I had sternly schooled myself to hold my tongue until I had completed my probation. But one never knows how these things come about. It was all so spontaneous, so unexpected, and before I knew what had really happened, we were engaged. It was the happiest time of my life. I had rid myself of all my bad habits. I was in the full flush and vigor of my manhood. I did not say anything to Beth about the past, because I felt that she would not understand. But I told your father pretty nearly everything, except who I really was, for I had made up my mind not to take the old name again, until I had really earned the right to do so. Of course, the name of Evors conveyed no impression to anybody. It did not imply that I was heir to Lord Merton. Your father was intensely friendly and sympathetic. He seemed to understand exactly. We became more than friends, and this is how it came about that I accompanied him finally on one of his secret visits to the Forefinger Mine. Your father's regular journeys to the mine had resulted in his becoming a rich man, and, as you know, he always kept the secret to himself, taking nobody with him, as a rule, with the exception of Felix Zary. I will speak of Zary again presently. You know how faithful he was to your father, and how he would have laid down his life for him. Zary was an incomprehensible character, Vera said. He was one of the surviving, or, rather, the only surviving member of the tribe who placed the forefinger mine in my father's hands. That was done solely out of gratitude, and Zary steadfastly declined to benefit one penny from the gold of the mine. He had a curious contempt for money, and he always said that the gold from the forefinger mine had brought a curse on his tribe. I really never got to the bottom of it, and I don't suppose I ever shall. But I am interrupting you, Charles. Will you please go on with your story? Where was I? Evor said. Oh, yes, I was just leading up to the time when I accompanied your father on his last fatal journey to the mine. At one time, I understand, it was his intention to take with him the Dutchman, Van Fort, or your mother's brother, Mark Fenwick. However, your father decided against this plan, and I went with him instead. To a great extent it was my doing so, that kept Van Fort and Fenwick out of it, for I distrusted both those men, and I believed that they would have been guilty of any crime to learn the secret of the mine. Your father, always trustful and confiding, laughed at my fears, and we started on that fateful journey. I don't want to harrow your feelings unnecessarily, or describe in detail how your father died, but he was foully murdered. And as sure as I am in the presence of my Maker, the murder was accomplished either by the Dutchman or Fenwick, or between the two of them. Zary mysteriously vanished about the same time, and there was no one to back me up in my story. You may judge of my horror and surprise, a little later, when Van Fort and Fenwick entered into a deliberate conspiracy to prove that I was responsible for your father's death. They laid their plans with such a diabolical ingenuity that, had I been placed upon my trial at that time, I should have been hanged to a certainty. They even went so far as to tell Beth what had happened, with what result, upon her mind, you know. 
At this time Van Fort disappeared, and was never heard of again. Of the strange, weird vengeance which followed him, I will talk another time. I suppose I lost my nerve utterly, for I became as clay in the hands of Mark Fenwick. Badly as he was treating me, he professed to be my friend, and assured me he had found a way by which I could escape from the death which threatened me. Goodness only knows what he had in his mind. Perhaps he wanted to part Beth and myself, and get all your father's money into his hands. I suppose he reckoned without your brother, though the latter did not count for much just then, seeing that he was in the hospital at Vera Kranz, hovering between life and death, as the result of his accident. For my own part, I never believed it was an accident at all. I believe that Fenwick engineered the whole business. But that is all, by the way. Like the weak fool that I was, I fell in with Fenwick's suggestion, and allowed myself to become a veritable tool in his hands. But I did not go till I heard that you had come back to look after Beth. Vera recollected the time perfectly well. She was following Evor's narrative with breathless interest. How well she recollected the day of her own marriage, and the receipt of that dreadful letter, which parted Gerald and herself on the very steps of the altar, and transformed her life from one of happiness into one of absolute self-sacrifice. She was beginning to see daylight now. She was beginning to discern a way, at length, whereby she would be able to defy Fenwick, and part with him for all time. "'It is getting quite plain now,' she said. "'But please go on. You cannot think how deeply interested I am in all you are saying. Presently I will tell you my side of the story, how I came to part with Beth, how I placed her in my brother's hands, how I elected to remain with Mark Fenwick, and my reasons for so doing.' I may say that one of my principal reasons for staying with my uncle was to discover the real cause of my father's death. That you had anything to do with it, I never really believed, though appearances were terribly against you, and you deliberately elected to make them look worse. But we need not go into that now. What happened to you after you fled from Mexico? I am very much afraid that I dropped back into the old habits, Evor said contritely. I was reckless and desperate, and cared nothing for anybody. I had honestly done my best to atone for the past, and it seemed to me that fate was dealing with me with a cruelty which I did not deserve. One or two of Fenwick's parasites accompanied me everywhere. There seemed to be no lack of money, and I had pretty well all I wanted. There were times, of course, when I tried to break the spell, but they used to drug me then, until my mind began to give way under the strain. Sometimes we were in Paris, sometimes we were in London, but I have not the slightest recollection of how I got from one place to another. I was like a man who is constantly on the verge of delirium. How long this had been going on, I can't tell you, but finally I came to my senses in the house in London, and there, for two days, I was practically all right. All through this time I had the deepest horror of the drink with which they plied me, and on this occasion the horror had grown no less. For some reason or another, no doubt it was an oversight, they neglected me for two days, and I began to get rapidly better. Then, by the purest chance in the world, I discovered that I was actually under the same roof as Beth and your brother, and the knowledge was like medicine to me. I refused everything those men offered me. I demanded to be allowed to go out on business. They refused, and a strange new strength filled my veins. I contrived to get the better of the two men, and half an hour afterward I left the house in company with your brother. All this was news indeed to Vera, but she asked no questions. She was quite content to stand there and listened to all that Evors had to say. "'I would not stay with your brother,' he went on. "'I went off immediately to an old friend of mine, to whom I told a portion of my story. He supplied me with money and clothing, 
and advised me that the best thing I could do was to go quietly away into the country and give myself an entire rest. I followed his advice, and I drifted down here, I suppose, in the same way that an animal finds his way home. I did not know my father was away, and you can imagine my surprise when I discovered to whom he had left the house. I feel pretty much myself now. There is no danger of my showing the white feather again. If you are in any trouble or distress, a line to the address on this card will bring me to you at any time. In this house there are certain hiding-places where I could secrete myself without anybody being the wiser, but we need not go into that. Now perhaps you had better return to the house, or you may be missed. Good night, Vera. You cannot tell how wonderfully helpful your sympathy has been to me. He was gone a moment later, and Vera returned slowly and thoughtfully to the house. The place was perfectly quiet now, the billiard-room door was open, and Vera could see that the apartment was deserted. Apparently the household had retired to rest, though it seemed to be nobody's business to fasten up the doors. Most of the lights were out, for it was getting very late now, so that there was nothing for it but for Vera to go up the stairs to her own room. She had hardly reached the landing when a door halfway down burst open, and Fenwick stood there shouting at the top of his voice for such of his men as he mentioned by name. He seemed to be almost beside himself with passion, though at the same time his face was pallid with a terrible fear. He held a small object in his hand, which he appeared to regard with disgust and loathing. "'Why don't some of you come out?' he yelled. "'You drunken dogs! Where have you all gone to? Let the man come out who has played this trick on me, and I'll break every bone in his body!' One or two heads emerged, and presently a little group stood around the enraged and affrighted Fenwick. Standing in a doorway, Vera could hear every word that passed. "'I locked my door after dinner,' Fenwick said. "'It is a patent lock. No key but mine will fit it. When I go to bed, I find this thing lying on the dressing-table.' "'Another of the fingers!' a voice cried. "'The third finger! Are you quite sure that you locked your door?' "'I'll swear it!' Fenwick yelled. "'And if one of you—but of course it can't be one of you. There is no getting rid of this accursed thing.' "'And when the last one comes—' Fenwick stopped, as if something choked him. End of chapter 21